when I'm stuck in a codependent pattern, I am thinking like on a subconscious level, my life is under threat. Yeah. And I need to say whatever I need to say to appease that person. Right? To not get angry, to yeah. not leave. Right. Yeah. To not reject me. Right. To not see that I'm failing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or if my partner or somebody else gets angry, then I get angry all of a sudden. Right. And I can't differentiate from my partner's emotion from my emotion. So what's happening is this codependent relationship on the emotion. And the way out of that is awareness. The way out of that is through the breath. And also education, just knowing that these patterns exist. Welcome everybody to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Prebo Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, coworkers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode, Codependency, How to Overcome It. Corey Costanzo and I had another conversation piggybacking off of our first conversation last month on codependency since it was a very popular topic and people wanted more and we wanted to talk more about it. So we talked about ways to overcome codependency, what you got to work on, what you got to move through, what you have to realize, and it's a process because there's a big spectrum of codependent behavior. I think we gave you some good stuff to chew on. So let me tell you more about Corey. This is your first time listening to Corey. We've done several podcasts in the past. He is a very dear friend of mine, a colleague. He is a licensed addiction counselor. He is also a licensed massage and bodywork therapist. He is the co-owner of Still Point Wellness, Asheville's premier wellness spa that features saltwater flotation tanks and Esalen certified massage. You can check Corey out and Still Point Wellness at stillpointwell.com. Okay, everybody. I hope you enjoy the conversation with Corey and I, codependency and how to overcome it. Yep, let's talk about it. My man, my man, here we are back again. I gotta say, you're one of my favorite guests to have on. Prepo, (laughs) come on. With all these amazing human beings that you've had on your podcast. Yes, I know. Uh, Not to belittle any of them in, in, in any way. I just love how we wrap back and forth and and I love our hangs. So I'm glad that we're doing this again. Yeah, you and I definitely have a rich history of common interests and a good amount of time under our belt too. It's been like 11 years that that we've been friends. Yeah. And I also love just that, you know, we're colleagues and that we consult well and often together. So this is kind of a really ease for us to talk about um, this issue. And it's, it's a popular one. Back for part two, codependency part two. 
Yeah. And you know, another thing to back up a little bit, what I love about our relationship is that we can wear different hats together. Like you just mentioned, friends and colleagues and dads together and talking about dad stuff. And it just flows. It flows really well. Mm. I always feel really good when I'm hanging out with you. And I really look forward to spending time with you. I really value, I deeply value our friendship. Yeah, I do too. I really appreciate that. We got to do more of it. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. Here we are. Yes, sir. So for some people that have listened to Codependency uh, 1 and a little bit of refresher for those that need to know, like let, let's let's break it down a little bit of like what are some signs and ways that people are in codependency patterns? Yeah, probably the biggest thing is someone's ability to have healthy, mutually satisfying relationships or inability to have a healthy and mutually satisfying relationship. Yeah, and that can be the cause from prior upbringing around dysfunction, emotional discord, many reasons around their aspects of how they were attached with their own needs and love relationships, whether that was through their family or other romantic relationships. Right, more so it happens as a learned behavior by watching and imitating um, and having the modeling of other family members, typically parents or grandparents that have been engaged in codependent behaviors. And it really shows up in dysfunctional families and it shows up in addicted families. Yeah, that's yeah. where the model first came, was from addicted families, right? Right. Not only addiction, but also when there's a family member suffering from a chronic mental mental illness or physical illness. Yeah. So a lot of times codependency is that we're not really grounded in our own sense of self and that we're putting others' needs ahead of ours. We're not acting from our authentic self and we're either people pleasing. There's a lot of fear of rejection if we don't if we speak a certain way or say our truth or want something and also that we have to t attend to another person whether it's family or partner their emotional needs are more important than than ours that's absolutely right okay. yeah and it doesn't get spoken about a lot of it lives in the subconscious patterns of the family system you know like enabling behaviors or the parent that is in denial that their child has an addiction, troubles with alcohol or drugs or mental illness. Yeah. I think the biggest is that we disguise that for love. You know, we grew up in thinking that's love. You know, if we give all of ourselves, if we martyr and do everything, if I give all my money to my kid or I sacrifice my well being, that's love. And I don't know if that's true love. You know, that's a healthy love. That's right. Yeah, I mean, love without boundaries, you know, can get really sticky. And the codependency framework or context when looking at family system or at an individual's life, this context of codependent behavior as the bullseye of where someone's suffering is coming from has been a really important one for a lot of people that I work with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and myself, because... I recognize a lot of these behaviors in myself and I catch myself more often now that I've kind of dove into the, into the literature and 
and working with people in it every day. And it lets us see it more clearly in our lives. Cause I think it's, you know, we're talking about a spectrum people about codependency, you know, and most people have some tendency in some way. Some people have it throughout how they relate in the world. So one of the biggest parts that I think we want people to know is the awareness to look and scan in your own life. Where does codependency show up? You know, I just did a solo cast a few weeks ago on people pleasing. That's a big one that shows up, but that's a part, one way to, because this podcast is about how to overcome codependency. One of the biggest ways to overcome it is you got to freaking know that yeah. it's there. So let's talk about some characteristics of people that have codependency issues. Yes, sir. Let's do that. All right. Mm -hmm. I would say problems with intimacy and with boundaries as well. So explain, let people know what, what intimacy, emotional intimacy, sexual intimacy, right? Yeah. What's a problem? My partner moves towards me and I feel repulsed. You know, it might be subtle, you know, I turn away, mm -hmm. you know, my partner gives some bids for some attention and, you know, might, might be talking to me about her day or something. And I just look at my phone and turn away and I don't give my partner the attention that she deserves. Yeah. Right. That's, that's problems with intimacy. Right. And to really look that, okay, it's, is it just because I'm tired and I just need my own space or is it, that's repetitive. Like I'm uncomfortable when somebody comes close to me and wants intimacy from me, wants my undivided attention and wants a big part of me to be shared and to be known and to know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Also like not sharing what's really happening for me with my partner or with my children, you know, not sharing my day, not wanting to spend time with them, you know, choosing to just avoid, avoid or overwork yeah. or, um, you know, Oh, I'm going out for a hike today. I'm, I'm going to do this today. I mean, there's, yeah, self-care is super important in any healthy relationship, but there comes a point where someone might be avoiding their partner. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to know, again, the difference between am I avoiding my partner because I have a conflict and I've tried over and over to move through it and I'm taking care of myself, or am I really avoiding my partner because I'm uncomfortable with closeness or even moving through and attempting moving through conflict because a lot of people that are also codependent they avoid conflict because they just it's just too uncomfortable they just don't want to do it as opposed to standing up for themselves you know like i was telling you er earlier years ago when i had this conversation with my uncle and it was a challenging conversation over the phone we just weren't agreeing with each other and there was some deeper issues between us as adults that that we were trying to work through and it just wasn't going well. And after the, as we were finishing the conversation, he said to me, I love you. And I didn't say anything. And he said, I love you. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, 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 I hear you. And he said it one more time. And he said this, I said, I love you. And that really got to me. And I was thinking, man. And I just said to him, well, I just got to tell you, Matt, I don't feel love for you right now. So I'm not going to say it. I know inside I did love him, but I didn't feel love. And that was my like boundary to say, I don't feel close to you right now. And I'm not going to be in this codependent pattern right now just because you need me to say I love you so that you'll feel better. I know that we're going to mend 
you know, hopefully that we'll move through this, but we need to be a little bit with this uncomfortableness. So for me to say, I don't feel love for you right now, I felt really good because that was my emotional truth. And a lot of people don't speak to that. They lash out in their behavior, they avoid, they stonewall, and they don't really speak up to, hmm, this is what I'm feeling in my body or this is not what I'm feeling. Hallmark of codependency right there. Mm-hmm, yeah. Nice one. Yeah. You know, another hallmark is when someone always feels worried about others' opinions of you. Yeah. That's a, I talked a lot about that and uh, people pleasing is getting other validated instead of self-validated. Right. Like when someone keeps quiet to avoid problems or conflict. Right. That's another way of, uh, or another sign of codependent behavior. Yeah. So there's many signs that we need to look at and so that people kind of know and scan, is this a codependent behavior? There's many different resources to see that. Check out our other podcasts around that. But even this last one that you said, what are ways to like overcome that characteristic of codependency? Yeah, number one is awareness. Becoming aware of, of that pattern, becoming aware of my behavior. And that's taking responsibility and accountability, which is not easy because a lot of times then we get down on ourselves about that instead of like saying, woohoo, I see the pattern. Once you see a pattern is when you can change a pattern. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why education is another really important piece, you know? So listening to this podcast, right, is a, mm -hmm. is a form of education. If it resonates with you, Google it, you know, that's another form of education or get a book, Codependent No More by Melody Beattie. Yeah. That's the uh, number one book out there. It was written in the 80s. She actually has a second book that I haven't read that was written in the 90s, but the one in the 80s is the one that I actually recommend. That goes through a series of questions for people to really look at and oh. they can really evaluate it. Yeah, she yeah. goes she, she goes deep. And it's a very well-written book because she says it all throughout the book that she's no expert, mm -hmm. right? So it's not coming from a scholarly researched and annotated and footnoted written piece of work. It's from her direct experience and also from her direct experience in many years of Al-Anon. Al-Anon. Al-Anon, there we your, go. Yeah, man, that's your, you don't get money from Al-Anon, do you? Cause man, you like, you tout Al-Anon. I love that you do that. Al-Anon <laughs> is free. Yeah, it is. Isn't it's it? not about money with Al-Anon. It's about, it's yeah. about service work, Yeah, right? right? So it's once you go through the program, you go through the 12 steps and you have a sponsor. Which is not Alcoholics Anonymous, right? People think they, they mix it up. Right, right. Al-Anon is support for a family member that is dealing with another family member that has issues with drugs or alcohol or mental illness. Right. Or maybe even someone who grew up as a child in a household with somebody with mental illness or somebody, somebody with drugs or alcohol problem right? Then you're an adult and you, and you find these codependent patterns happening. Al-Anon is the place for you. And now with COVID, they, you know, they have Zoom all the time, all over the world. So you can, you can call into meetings all over the world, just get on their website and just find a meeting and call in. And then that's going to give you just right in the center of the information that you need to try to break these patterns and break these cycles. It really helps people see 
like where they end and the other person is like it takes away the enmeshment it really lets people see i don't need to go there and this other person's dysfunction or hey this is their stuff it's not my stuff they're getting angry because they get angry it's not because of me right now and it's it's a little bit of a light bulb that i hear when i hear clients that are going to to al-anon what they learn from it there's such a light bulb of like knowing like when they say that is not my stuff i'm not going to take that on i'm not going to take that oh yeah it's beautiful when people do that it's like the weight gets lifted off of someone's shoulders big time yeah I have seen incredible transformation in people that have taken Al-Anon seriously. And then for someone to work the steps Mm -hmm. and get a sponsor and work the 12 steps, you go deep, really deep. It's almost like psychic surgery, you know, Mm -hmm. mental, emotional surgery. And I I have seen incredible transformation in people's lives that have taken that program seriously. Yeah. Yeah, and it's free. And the other thing that I think that is around when people say, I'm not going to take that anymore. One of the biggest steps that we're talking about is self-worth and self-love to overcome codependency. You have to form a sense of self and you have to really form what you know that you want and need for yourself. And what that takes is a realization that you're worth it. And it's not selfish. It's actually very selfless because we really then show up in our relationships with really who we are and we stop doing other people's work for them. Right. It's that's invading other people's life when we're think that we can do somebody else's work. We got to do ours. Yeah, exactly. And we rob them of the empowerment that they'll feel when they do it for themselves. Sometimes someone needs to hit that rock bottom or somebody needs to lose a job or someone needs to really feel the pain and the suffering of patterns that don't work for them, you know, in order to move out of that and to stay out of that. But if if I'm codependent on my partner who's having, you know, let's say addiction issues and mental health issues, and I do the work for them, it's almost a way to rescue them so that, you know, it's less likely to be sustainable. I might rescue them in the moment from their suffering, you know, what, what, what would be when we talk about do their work for them? Let's give examples to people. What is doing somebody else work for them? Finding a therapist for them. Mm. Calling a therapist and saying, my wife has got some serious issues and here's what her issues are. Mm. I really want her to go to do some work with you, but she is not willing to do the work. Right. So can you help me to get her get her to do some work with you. I don't think that it's as subtle as when there's an avoidance and I let something go and go, you know what, forget it. That It's my fault. It's not your fault. Like I, I'm doing their work for them of, of all of a sudden not calling it out. And I think that when people also just kind of downplay something in some way, we're doing somebody else's work because we're not letting them recognize what it is. And vice versa, if we always are bringing it up to the other person, do you see this? Don't you see what your behavior is? Don't you know that's what you're doing? Then we're, we're really invested too much in for them to see it. And sure, at times I think it's okay to make an offering um, if the person is really open to see it. But most of the time, that's not what's occurring. Most of the time it's so enmeshed that we're constantly telling the other person 
what their work is, what their behavior is, what they're doing wrong in their life. What's right. The, what's the consequences if they keep doing what they're doing? And we talked earlier about tough love. You know, I think there should be a different word for that is when we're putting up a boundary, it's about we're loving ourselves instead of putting tough love to somebody else like parents and kids. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, it really pains my heart. And I've heard a couple of stories um, that went terribly wrong where a parent kicked a teenager out of the house for using drugs or alcohol and, you know, not under my roof, you know, I've, and that teenager winds up on the street and gets into some horrific trauma. And, you know, there've been a couple of instances I knew where the kid wound up overdosing and, uh, you know, then the parent on the back end of that had to really live with a lot of guilt and shame for taking that approach. I'd be really careful with that. Yeah, tough love approach of kicking kicking someone who is you know has an addiction has a disease, kicking them out of the house. Yeah, not saying that that there shouldn't be boundaries. Yeah, there's boundaries around if, if people are violent and and stealing. We're not mm -hmm. talking about that. We're talking about somebody that is more self destructive to themselves. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wrap around love. You know, unconditional positive regard, love and acceptance. And yeah, that person's suffering, and you know food and shelter is, is such an important way that a parent can support a child who's going through addiction issues. Mm -hmm. You know what, I, I love the question too that I've asked myself or I have other people, clients to ask themselves is, you know, what are you gaining or losing through codependency? The question for me, what am I afraid of if I become more independent? I think that's a great question to ask. Am I afraid that uh, I might fail. I'm afraid that will people leave me if I become more independent? Am I afraid that I'll find out that I'm the one that was wrong? I mean, what is the fear of becoming more independent? And when we become more independent, it doesn't mean that we have to move away from connection and relationship. We still can have a mutual dependence, which is healthy, as opposed to codependent. But one of the first steps is to be independent have your own freaking interests, your own freaking hobbies, your own, your own passions that you do alone, not always has to be with somebody else. And it's so much sweeter when you come back together later on. Oh, how was your day, sweetie? Oh, I went on this great hike. It was really beautiful. You know, I was thinking about you while I was there. Oh, what, what was your day like? Oh, I had this wonderful day. I hung out with my best friend. We had some coffee together. It was really sweet. All right, now we're together talking about our day and now we're sharing some time together too much time together and i see that a lot in relationships where people spend just every waking moment together maybe even some people work together yeah. and live together especially with covid now everyone's spending so much more time with one another it's so important to have some solo time yeah and on the basis level sometimes it gets so bad that one or both feel I need to know that I'm loved, so you gotta love me so much. Um, while usually what happens, one of them, one, the person that is on the receiving end pushes up against that, it's like, whoa, 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 I can't take that. That's too, it's suffocating. So they individuate more. They go have their more interests with friends or hobbies. And the other person still keeps pushing of like, and is in some ways spiraling down because they're trying to plug in to that person for their, for their only source of love. Yeah, I, I've worked with some family systems where one partner will see that 
dynamic as, oh, she doesn't love me. She's pulling away from me. Right. And then, you know, the subconscious is, I'm not lovable. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's the potential for, for a lot of acting out and a lot of uh, suffering to happen in, in the relationship when that happens. So I think really the antidote to that is uh, loving oneself and self-respect and self, self-awareness. And some of those steps are, you know, there's basic steps around that is recognizing the things that you do and how you think and how you behave that you're grateful for and you're appreciative that's aligned with your own integrity. So one is actually behaving and doing the things that are aligned with your value system. And when you recognize that's what you're doing, it builds self-worth and self-esteem. Of course, when you're out of alignment like that, you're thinking to yourself, I'm not a good person according to myself. Well, you need to have compassion. You need to look at why you're not doing those things. But one way to build self-worth is actually remembering and naming those things. So I tell people at the end of the day, go throughout the day and list the things that you're really appreciative and grateful for what you contributed to that you felt good. And not just to others, but also just to yourself. Because if you're only listing, I feel really good and grateful for me making this person happy and making this person dinner and doing this. And it's not about, I'm really grateful that I took a walk. I read that book. I'm really grateful that I caught a thought that was judgmental and lifted off of it and had more compassion. That's building more self-worth in a healthy way. That's right. And it takes, it takes effort to do that. It takes intention to do that. Discipline, tension. Yeah, that's right. And you know, for me, when I do that, it feels good. So I keep doing it. You know, I keep doing my morning practice. I keep doing my meditation, my headspace meditation practice. Yeah. And then surrounding ourselves with people in our lives that see that and comment on that. I mean, that's part of overcoming codependency is making sure that the people that are around are not just blowing smoke up your ass and just like constantly pleasing you, that they're challenging you, but they're also looking and praising and um, are grateful and appreciative showing you who you are. Like the, the and that's why I love our, our friendship too. We name that to each other when we see each other and celebrate each other's positivity and how we walk in the world well. I love when we give each other appreciations of our parenting or our fatherhood or just how we might talk to each other and at times work out some challenging communications at times that we have. Like my love, your truth, or when you hold me to some of my truth. Yeah, you know what was one of the most memorable times when that happened. We were in a restaurant maybe, or in a car, I mean, I don't know, it was probably a Posana, our favorite restaurant, favorite place to get a, uh-huh. get a grass-fed steak, <laughs> right? You looked at me and you said, listen, and this was early on in our friendship, and you said, listen, you know, I need to tell you something meaningful to me and share a story, and I don't want your advice. I just want you to hold space for me. I just want you to listen to me and I just, I'm not asking for your advice. Can you give me that? Yeah, I'm not going to say I was right, but it was in a car, brother. <laughs> oh, it was. I remember we were kind of parked out by the Y because I remember that incident too. It, I, I remember feeling a little bit like bubbling, like, oh shit, there, I'm taking a risk there of like really saying what I need. But I felt trusting and confident that, that you would hear it. Yeah, that you would really hear it. Yeah, it was, it was such an important moment mm. in friendship modeling. And I tell that story actually to a lot of other people mm. 
because I hear time and time again, you know, people that when they're in friendship, they think that the way to be in good, in good friendship is if they give advice. And I've heard from some of my clients that say that they have to stop friendships because they feel like whenever they tell anything to a friend of theirs, that person will just give advice. And that's not what they're looking for. And then I share the story between mm. you and I, and it really, it really has helped a lot of a lot of people to break out of that that pattern and that and that cycle, and to actually con compassionately confront another friend and say, "Okay, I'm going to share something with you, and I really just want you to hold space. I don't want you to give me advice right now because yeah. it's very vulnerable. Very vulnerable. I remember, uh, and I wasn't, I didn't feel the anger about it, you know, at all. Uh, you know, I didn't wait until. I felt resentful and then bursted out in, in, in anger because that would have been the codependent part of not really speaking up instead of really speaking to what I wanted or what I needed. And in some way, like you're saying, there was a, like, there was a choice point in our relationship. Are you going to hear me and respect it? And if you do, I'm going to get closer to you. I'm going to trust you. And that's what happened between us. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. 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 I don't think we've really spoken about that in a really long time. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that felt good. Yeah, it's such a great a great point that you that you just made. Where an aspect of codependency is that the person will caretake somebody else, and then they will feel resentful if that person doesn't doesn't accept or, or do what they want them to do. Right. And even in that example, there was like a, a, a boundary that was needed and like I, I put up or asked for and, and you met that. And I think that's part of also overcoming codependency is knowing when to put up boundaries. And sometimes a boundary is a whole perspective of that, compassionately asking for something and saying what you need, that's a boundary. Yeah. Sometimes just firmly saying no and not having to explain yourself whatsoever, that's a boundary. Right. A lot of people that have dysfunctional codependent relationships do not know how to put up boundaries. Right. And they over explain. Yes. Yeah. I actually do that. <laughs> I do that all the time. Mm. Robin catches me doing that all the time. She'll be like, why are you explaining yourself? You don't have to explain why you're saying no to that person. Like just a simple no, period. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, you're right. And if we look at that, because I used to have issues, I'm sure that stems back way back when I was a child and I said no and my no's weren't respected. So I had to keep explaining to, to be understood and Ooh. they were overridden. That's, right. a, that's a whole nother podcast, isn't it? <laughs> right, totally. Right. Yeah, when I was a kid, I used to get to silent treatment a lot if I would speak my authentic truth. So I learned how to manipulate what I was really feeling to fit like what I knew that my mother wanted to hear. Right. Yeah, what would make her treat you well in a certain way instead That's of like right. walking on the eggshells of I better not do something that makes her angry. That's right. That's and right. that's where we learn the codependent that we take into our partnership around that. So many people do that where they learn, they learn it from their interactions and the relationship with their parents. Yeah, so that's one of the beautiful things about working the steps is that in Al-Anon you get to go back and you get to learn and see and discover the root of a lot of these codependent behaviors. And, you know, you get to process that and you get to work through that. Yeah. Yeah, such a vital piece. Yeah. And that that's a big part, again, of 
putting ourselves first. And people have a hard time when they hear that. And because in some ways, you know, we grew up in, with morals or religion and so forth that, you know, we need to put others above ourselves, And yet, you know, we really need to understand what that really means about putting ourselves first. Because if we, if we don't do that in, in a healthy way, again, then we're not able to come into relationships with that healthy sense of ourself. And sure, there's going to be times, of course, parents are more selfless or in relationships that you sacrifice at times and you let the other person have their stage or their needs. But if you're always doing that and that's the pattern, you really have to look at that. For instance, like stop doing the housework if you always regret it and you're resentful of it. Stop it. Try something different. Have that meeting and say, I'm no longer going to do this part of the housework. I need you to do that. Instead of wasting your time thinking that person is going to automatically help you out. You're not asking for help. You're not putting yourself first by asking for help or you're not stating some of your, your needs by putting yourself first. Yeah. Yeah. Cause then once that resentment starts to come in, I mean, life just starts to suck. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, if I'm going to fold the clothes, I want to fold those clothes mindfully and I want to enjoy my time doing it. But if I'm folding those clothes, resenting, that time then just life just becomes dull and life becomes filled with all those biochemicals of resentment and yeah. anger and you know and, and and then that stuff you know starts to feel it in your body there's tension in the body and then that stuff starts to over time chronically starts to affect different organs in the body and you know i really do believe that we manifest a lot of the illness from holding on to things and holding on to resentments and you know, the way out of those patterns is is awareness, just becoming becoming aware of it. You know, read read the book, mm-hmm. Codependent No More. You know, get educated about these patterns that are actually fairly common in family in family systems. You know, and then do some meditation work. Do some sitting with the emotion. It doesn't have to be like meditation with the you know lotus style and the Om Shanti like. It could literally just be, oh, I'm feeling really resentful and angry right now. You know what? I'm just going to go outside and I'm going to let myself feel it. Right. That's meditation right, right there. That's the work. Yeah. And feel it is different than ruminating over it. Because if you start really ruminating, you can create a negative bias of the other person. That's what resentment does, I think, especially if we resent somebody for doing something. Instead of feeling the resentment and then knowing, how do I want to lift off of this resentment? One way is probably speak to it to speak and, and let that person know what I'm feeling. That's the very first step of getting out resentment is to speak to your feelings. Ruminating is more of a cognitive kind of like thoughts or looping, right? That's, that's ruminating. That's not healthy. Feeling it is more of a physiological awareness, like right. in my physiology, like, oh, I'm feeling resentful right now. My heart is beating really fast there's tension in my hands right now. That's what I mean by feeling it. So I'm just feeling the heart beating fast, feeling the tension, tension building in the hands and in the shoulders or, or like, you know, wherever it is and turning towards it, meaning like not thinking it away or not, or not grabbing for food or for you know, cigarettes or alcohol or 
or just unleashing on somebody else, but really feeling it. You know, so many people do not do that. It's not like a, a obvious thing to do. And I feel like most of us weren't really taught to do that, you know, but feeling into the intense emotion is such an important piece of awareness. Because also I know what, if I feel into the emotion, I can start becoming aware that I also can manage that feeling, meaning like I could start maybe moving in another way or a direction to either bring it out more if I shake or if I feel it or I start regulating my breath a certain way. Now I can manage more that feeling instead of just letting it unconsciously take, take me over. So being conscious of what the feeling is and then also knowing, well, if my, if my breath is, is labored, one way that I can help my breath being labor is take longer inhales and exhales to bring that down, to brings my system down. I end up have less rumination and get stuck less on the cognitive part of the resentment. And I calm down and I might have now different thoughts and see the interaction differently that I can maybe now make room for the other person. Yeah, let's talk about this one for a little bit because it's such an important tool and skill that so many people write about and and you know the breath has been used for thousands of years in many different systems to help regulate emotions and to help somebody you know think martial arts you know they really use the breath to gather their chi and gather their, gather their power and then direct their power where they want it to go qigong you know the same thing it's like using the breath and the energy of our surroundings around us to really direct how we want to feel right so the breath is such a simple thing. Think about it from a physiological level. If our body and our system is under threat, like we're really threatened, our life is threatened, what's going to happen? Cortisol is going to get released from the brain, right? That signals the heart to beat really, really fast so that we can fight or run away, you know, fight, flight, or freeze response so that we could stay alive. Now, the breath, right, is going to have to start getting really fast so that we can actually like fight or run away. Like that's what it just naturally does. It's an automatic response. So we can hack into that response. If we're ever feeling like we're under threat, we're feeling really in really intense emotions and there's ruminating you know, in the mind and this anger and this resentment and stuff. If we slow down our breathing, that's a way to hack into the, into the nervous system. We're like telling the body that we're safe by just breathing elongating the exhale. It's so simple. Mm. Elongating the exhale two or three or four times longer than the inhale. Try to do that for just maybe three or four breaths and you'll begin to feel direct effects instantly. Mm. Beautifully said. And this is also a tool to be able to have the awareness when we're doing behaviors that are dysfunctional in a codependent way. If we're able to take the breath, we stop we can actually stop ourselves from continuing in an unconscious way because the breath is very conscious and we're, if we're aware of it, then we have more conscious thoughts and then we can have more intentional thoughts of what we wanna do. Just like taking a breath, I always say this, before you answer a question, you're gonna come out more authentic. You're gonna say what's more true. And so for people that have a hard time speaking their truth in overcoming, let's say, codependency here, utilizing the breath, really helps you have agency to ground yourself, to get the guts to actually take the chance to, to take the risk to speak, speak your truth. 
Try something different. Try something different. And it brings me back to meditation practice also. You know, I do mine as you and probably all of your regular listeners know from Headspace. You know, it's an app on the phone that just makes it so incredibly simple to learn meditation and breath awareness skills. I've been doing it for four years and it's been a game changer for me. And I know you say this every time I, I plug Headspace, I'm not getting paid. You're not getting paid from Headspace. This is just like something that works for me that I love to share with people. Yeah, I'm so glad that you do. Uh, even though I razz your ass about it. <laughs> and I think part of that, that, that recognition and cognition that helps through the breath is around, you know, embracing, embracing the honesty of being able to say the truth about what you feel. And that is, is so important is to pause, to take the pause and stopping the unconscious pattern because part of codependency is like we talked about in the beginning is not having the awareness that you're doing it. And the breath brings a lot of consciousness in. Consciousness to make your decisions. Like even a great way to overcome some of those things is to take emotional breaks from your partner, from a family member, from the workplace. A lot of people don't take it upon themselves and say, you know what, I need an emotional break right now. And then go self-soothe, whatever that means. Go for a walk. Don't interact in a, in a conflict that you feel really small or that you are... Uh, re reacting in a way that you don't feel good about yourself. Yeah, and you know, that that makes me think of a very practical thing that happens with the physiology when we take a breath is that blood actually actually starts to flow to our prefrontal cortex where we do more of our higher order thinking. So when we're really stressed out, blood flows to the more primitive parts of the brain, the amygdala and the brain stem. Right? And those are the same parts of the brain that are in amphibians. We as humans have evolved out of that into this other part of the brain that, that we have access to when we're self-regulated, right? And the breath is such a powerful way to get there. So, you know, when I'm stuck in a codependent pattern, I am thinking like on a subconscious level, my life is under threat. And I need to say whatever I need to say to appease that person, right? To not get angry, to yeah. not leave. Right. Yeah. To not reject me. Right. To not see that I'm failing. Yeah. Or if my partner or somebody else gets angry, then I get angry all of a sudden. Right. And I can't differentiate from my partner's emotion from my emotion. So what's happening is this codependent relationship on the emotion and the way out of that is awareness. The way out of that is through the breath. Yeah. And also education, just knowing that these patterns exist. Let's talk about one other thing too, is around like with relationships that people, whether it's a, you know, one partner or both that they choose and repeat choosing a, we call it like, you know, a project, somebody that you know, has real challenges in life and you take them on to constantly help them to, you know, be their rescuer. And I see it, I see that pattern over and over where people repeat that and they're not so aware because they get a lot of self-identity by helping others or also avoiding their own stuff and not looking at their own, let's say negative behaviors because they're so focused on their partner's negative behavior to have them change that they're not looking at th theirs. So 
they continually pick people to avoid their own shit. That's absolutely right. The bad boy stereotype, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. That's one, you know, being attracted to the bad boy stereotype. Yeah. You know, it's almost like, oh, I'm going to change her, you know? I'm going to fix her or I'm going to fix him. Whether it's even through the person's behavior, whether it's addiction or their challenge to really be out in the world, whether it's financially or a certain introversion that's avoidance and that person maybe compensates for them or even just being treated poorly by them. And then they make it all about the other person that they have to change instead of looking at like, why am I with somebody that is treating me in this way? What is it about myself that I don't love or see or have worth that I continue to be in this relationship year after year after year? And I know it's really challenging when people have kids and family, do everything that you can to try to remedy that and work through that. But there's people that don't have some of those ties of family and other things, but they stay in a emotionally, in some way, emotionally abusive relationship and they don't recognize that they have the power to just say no and leave and create more self-worth for themselves. You know, at a deep foundational level, I've noticed in working with clients that have codependency issues is it's almost a spiritual crisis. It's almost like what you're saying is a, a self-love, self-respect, self-confidence crisis. And it's a spiritual crisis in that there's a sense of connection, like a sense of connection to the deep self is missing. And the codependent person will will start to value the connection between another human over the connection with my deep, my deep self. And, you know, I've helped a lot of people to resolve codependency issues. And at the root of it, what, what really happens is this deep spiritual connection to themselves, their inner truth, their inner wisdom. And, you know, depending on what the person's belief system is, you know, connection to God or connection to all that is, or the universe, you know, that kind of all one concept. And that doesn't really, that that's, that's hard to come forth in a codependent, in a codependent relationship. Because I think what you're talking about there too is a real awareness also of what love and compassion can really be. And I think that in codependency, we misinterpret compassion for that. That obsession or attachment is not compassion. When I end up being more differentiated in my relationships, it's not that I push the other person away that I have to be so independent. I end up having a more level of compassion for what they're going through. But I also trust that they have their own life and they're gonna figure it out and they're gonna find ways. And if they need me to help in some way, I would love when they ask it and how they take it and I can, I can help when I know that it's healthy for me. The difference is that we don't have to wall off compassion and let somebody else go through and do their own work. A lot of people mix that up and they think like, all right, I gotta just like shut that, that person out because it's, it's not healthy for me. I can have compassion from a distance and still have that person in my periphery wishing them very well and so forth. And, 
but again, not doing their work for them. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Anything else coming up for you before we uh, say bye-bye and, and uh, make it a night and, and go get some dinner? Yeah, so looking forward to it. <laughs> Grass-fed steak, here we come. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. No, man, I just, again, just want to say how deeply I value our friendship mm. and our collaboration. Mm. Deeply value you as a human being, mm. as a father, as a husband. Thank you, brother. A friend, mm. colleague. I just mm. love it, man. I love it. Ah, I'll take that in. And for those of you that don't know, Corey came in a little bit stressed out from, from his day. And there's been a shift, man. I love seeing that shift in you right now. And, and that, that feels really good. And Oh, my light was dim. It's been, a, it's been a really challenging week. I am so close to signing a contract for this big 5,000 square foot build out of our new wellness spa. That's going to have four float tanks and four Esalen massage treatment rooms and three somatic experiencing rooms to help people resolve trauma and addiction and all sorts of things and a break mm. room for our staff. Mm. I'm so excited. It's going to be in east, the east part of town, so East Asheville. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so excited. Now, I could have been a little codependent where before I know that we've uh, scheduled to do a podcast and I really felt that, you know, there's some stress or that you were pushing or some things and I just put out, hey man, like, we don't have to do it. And you're like, oh, cool, man, we, we'll reschedule. I felt really bad because this is the second reschedule. This one I didn't feel, it would have been codependent if I said to you, hey man, we don't really need to do that because I knew there was a part of you that could freaking show up and we'll just do what we, what, that we do it. So part of me wanted to have a little compassion and put out to you, hey man, I know that you're stressed, but you weren't as stressed because you showed up in a different way. You had some stress going on. So I just want to point that out. I saw like a little tendency to maybe just, I want to look forward to it and, 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 and do this and, and get this on the books. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. and that other time that, that, that you're referring to, I was overriding, yeah. I was overriding my sense of, uh, knowing that I was pushing it if we would have recorded that podcast that that night. Like, I would have done it. Uh, you probably wouldn't have ran it, and it probably wouldn't have been so good, so it would have been a waste of time. So I was I was really grateful when you noticed that and you said, hey, you know what, you know, because I had canceled like two other times before then, yeah. right? So I really didn't want to cancel on that third time. Right. And, um, you know, I just really appreciate you letting me off the hook in a very very smooth way. And also I want to take responsibility for like, you know, in hindsight, I was overriding my comfort zone with, with the energy output, you know? So, and, and I felt that, and that felt right to put that out. That to me, wasn't me doing your work. It was like helping a friend say, Hey, it's okay. You don't, you don't worry. You're not disappointing me. Yeah. Yeah. So I can see that little tendency that, you know, just put out that example of, how much do we do that for other people repetitively? Because uh, I had no resentment when you said, yeah, man, let's do it again. If maybe I put that out to you right now, and then you said, no, no, there's part of me was like, come on, man, like we could have done it. And so, mm -hmm. so we did it, folks. We yeah. did it. Yeah. Oh, and I feel great. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, brother. I so love this and we'll keep doing it. All right, Prepo. Love you, pal. I love you, brother, man. All right. Doom, doom, do.
another one bites the dust. Doom, doom, doom. Another one bites the dust. And another one's gone, and another one's gone. Another one bites the dust. Yeah. Another one down. I think that was episode 119. Hope you enjoyed it. Those of you know, sometimes I like to sing some verses of songs. <laughs> and I've gotten feedback that some of you have actually enjoyed it. So what I thought that I would do, which I did do, I made a Prepos podcast song list on my Spotify. All of the songs that I have sung in my podcast, uh, if you want to hear the original ones, I have that on a playlist. So if you want, you can check that out. I have a link to that playlist in my show notes. And I will be, of course, adding on as I keep singing them. Don't forget to check out my website, prepo.com, for audio guides and guided meditations. And you can also contact me there if you're interested in talking about my counseling or consulting services. And I would love to hear from you of some relationship questions that you would like to get answered on a podcast. I love answering listeners' questions for a podcast episode. I know holiday season is coming up and it can be really frustrating this time of the year with all of the challenges and the restrictions about seeing family. So I want you to know that I have you all in my heart. I truly do. I'm putting out some loving and deep healing vibes for all of you and your family. Stay connected. Express your love to each other. Have compassion for those around you that are struggling, including yourself at times. So that self-compassion is so deeply important. Sending you all my love and make yourselves a beautiful day. Relationships, Let's Talk About It is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more on licensed counselor Prepo Teplitsky, visit heartsharecounseling.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling and psychotherapy, medical advice, diagnosis or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Thank you.